everyone. Welcome to another episode of Real Talk with Teddy and Lisa. My name is Teddy Parsons. Lisa's out on assignment today, which probably loosely translate to a cocktail or two or in some retail therapy. Really, all joking aside, she's enjoying some time with her family and we wish her well. But I am so excited to announce that today I have an amazing special guest. My co-host is Carrie Rosengana, the Chief Executive Officer at the Capitary Michigan Works located here in Lansing, Michigan. Hi, Carrie, and welcome to the podcast. And again, thank you for agreeing to co-pilot this sinking ship with me. So tell our listeners something about you. Well, thanks, Teddy, for asking me to join you today on Real Talks with Teddy and Lisa. I'm really excited to have the opportunity to co-host with you this morning. So something about me, you already said that I am Carrie Rosengena. I'm the Chief Executive Officer at Capital Area Michigan Works, which is a workforce development agency here in the Lansing region, but also in Clinton and Eaton counties. Um, I am a Lansing resident. I love having the opportunity to meet new people, and I couldn't be more excited to be able to help co-host and have this great conversation with Nick. So thanks again for having me. Most certainly. Thanks, Carrie. I should also note for our listeners uh, that I won't be giving you a hard time today, um, (laughs) like I do with Lisa, because you and for all essences and purposes, you are my boss at the Michigan Diversity Education Center. Carrie's our board chair and I'm the president CEO. So can you do me the great honor of welcoming our special guests to the podcast, Carrie? I would be honored to. So today we welcome you, Nick Lynch, the Vice President of Fund Development at the Capital Area United Way, located here in Lansing, Michigan. Good morning, Nick. How are you today? Hi, good morning. Uh, doing well. It's great to be here. Great. Again, uh, welcome and thank you for joining us today on the podcast. So who is Nick and what should our listeners need to, what do they need to know about you? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll jump off of your, your introduction there. I am not <laughs> a Lansing native. Um, I was born and raised in the subdivisions of Macomb County um, and came up here <clears throat> to attend Michigan State University in 1998. Um, and fell in love with Lansing and the mid-Michigan area in general because it has that sense of place and center um, that that I didn't really feel as much of growing up in the suburbs. You know, there's more of a, an identity here, and it's more of built on cooperation and interaction, um, and that's what made me fall in love with this area, and that's what I get out of this job too, um, because I feel like I owe this community something for taking me in. um, And this work allows me to give something back to it. Thanks, Nick, for sharing that information. We will be sure to list information about you and the Capitary United Way under the episode narrative for today's podcast. Uh, Nick, let me ask you, as I was pursuing the Capitary United Way's website, I see that you invest in programs that can help to improve the lives for those who live in either Clinton, Eaton, or Ingham counties with a focus on access to health, financial stability, and education. Can you please tell us more about this? Sure. Um, I think the unique thing about the approach of Capillary United Way and and United Ways in general um, is not just that it invests widely and meaningfully Um, and intelligently uh, in the whole community uh, as a a broad-based support uh, for citizens within the area, but that we do that by 
recruiting the community itself. So then that, that's one of the things that's most endearing to me about working for this organization is that the, the reflex, the instinct of everyone in the organization um, from top to bottom, including our board of directors, is that when a problem is discovered, a crisis is discovered in the community, um, we pull everybody together. And that's not just the, the employees and the board of directors, that's all of our uh, partners in the nonprofit world, uh, local government, school districts, uh, put everybody at a big table and not just to commiserate, not just to point at the fact that something's wrong and complain about it, but to actually put the weight of our resources behind the decisions of that group. And so those, those focus areas you'll notice are pretty wide, <laughs> um, but that's, that's, why, that's why there's so much latitude because when we bring people in to make those strategic decisions about where to put our resources and to follow up on those investments to ensure that they're working, uh, we don't want to limit the options that that group has. Thanks so much, Nick. That's really helpful information. To sort of piggyback off of that, in 2014, we know that the Michigan United Way launched the ALICE Report, which for our listeners, that stands for Asset Limited, Income Constrained and Employed. And that really provided us with a better understanding of the struggles, both related to poverty and financial hardship that our hardworking communities in our, in our, in our region are really experiencing. Can you share with us a little bit about the updates to the 2021 ALICE report? Yeah, sure. So the, the idea behind the ALICE report was, was that the, the way that we quantify um, struggle in our communities, especially uh, you know, economic and material struggle in our communities, which has always largely been based on you know, federal, federal poverty guidelines and, and a kind of an antiquated view of um, where someone is at on the spectrum of, of income and, and assets and uh, employment, where they are struggling, the, the, the popular idea. And the one on which we base a significant part of our policy making as a, a country and a state and a municipality um, is way too narrow. And that there is a slice of the population. Uh, and when I say slice, I mean around a quarter. There's around a quarter of the population in the tri-county here who is above that, um, that, that poverty level, typically referred to as poverty level which is the, that poverty level is typically where we put our resources, whatever resources um, are available, uh, especially through uh, government organizations focus there. Well, right above that is another quarter of the population who is uh, employed enough or has enough income typically to be stable usually, but they're, they're not secure. So, they have enough money to, to keep up with the bills and keep food on the table and keep gas in the car usually, but they don't have enough money to create a safety net for themselves. And so when some crisis inevitably creeps along, you know, we all, we all go through that. Um, mm -hmm. A car breaks down, a child gets sick, uh, elderly parent moves in with you, something like that. 
it completely destabilizes that family um, and, and shoves them towards the edge of poverty, uh, which, which is an undertow. I mean, once you get stuck in it, mm -hmm. it's hard to get out of it. But the resources of the community are generally not aimed at that level, right? So these folks, they're not just... They're not just dealing with a situation oftentimes that is alien to them, because again, usually they're not having to deal with health and human services needs. Um, they also find usually that there's a deficit of resources even after they start looking. They don't, they don't qualify for it because they have income, you know, or they, they have two cars or, or something like that. And so the, the Alice report is meant to put a spotlight on that group of our neighbors, friends, and family members, um, and to guide the resources, not just of United Way, but of those organizations with whom we partner, to say that we've got to put some attention on these folks to keep them from falling into that cycle of poverty that others are in. So the, the update that we most recently uh, created um, shows a, a, a continuation largely of the previous one, that there's 24% uh, of people in this community who are within that Alice threshold, so who are uh, making more than the, the poverty line, but less than what it takes to be secure, to not need uh, intervention when a crisis rolls along. Um, and then there's those who are in poverty below that. So all told, about 42% of the tri-county population um, is either actively in crisis at any given time or is right on the precipice of it at any given time. Thanks so much, Nick, for sharing that. We'll be sure to include a link for the Alice report under the episode narrative for today's podcast. Based on the information you just provided us, what do you believe is one of the biggest challenges faced by residents in the greater Lansing region? I'm kind of just focusing here on the three counties that you represent. Sure. I mean, the, the problem, you know, the Alice report is voluminous. <laughs> it's, a big, it's a big chunk of data and analysis. Um, and the way we describe it typically is very analytical um, and kind of austere. I mean, the whole point is that this is something that people, I think, intuitively understand that, um, you know, people are suffering out there who, um, there are more people suffering than maybe show up in the typical reports. But the bottom line is that um, life is more expensive than people are being compensated for um, in general. And, uh, there's not really enough work being done, meaningful, tangible, um, proactive work being done to ensure that um, there's, a, there's a safety net under these folks who are not being protected. You know, that's the, that's the idea. This is, this is an income issue, you know? Um, so I think that helps guide, and this is why the Alice Report, I think, has been picked up not just by other nonprofits, uh, but by, by government actors as well to a large degree, is that that notion doesn't just inform what needs to be done within the health and human services sector, it informs what needs to be done um, with policy, public policy as well. Thanks so much, Nick, and I couldn't agree more. So thinking about the work that you do, what do you like best about the work that you 
you do at Capital Area United Way and what really inspires you and drives you? Um, well, I did not, I did not picture myself being a, a fundraiser. Um, I'm, I'm a Midwestern guy and, I, and therefore I hate asking for money. It was never something that I really saw myself doing, uh, which is probably true of most people who are in fundraising. Uh, but the job I had before I came to United Way um, and started doing resource development, that, that happened in 2012. So for the five years previous to that, I was a call specialist at uh, 211, which is a information referral service, a helpline basically, um, that is that was created by and largely sponsored by uh, United Ways across the nation. You just dial two one one, and you get a real person, and you can tell them, "Hey, I'm behind on I'm behind on rent. I don't know what to do," and you'll have a conversation with them. There's no time limits. Um, it can be completely anonymous. Um, the The point is to leave that caller at the end of that call confident that there are not only that there's a list of resources in front of them, but that they're actually likely to get them, which is the difference between something like that and like a hard copy resource directory where you just kind of scroll your way down the page, um, you know, until you get frustrated enough that you stop doing it. And what I saw, I took a little over 50,000 calls in those five years. And what I saw thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times is that was that, um, there is a program that exists to help this person who I'm talking to, many of whom are having the worst day in their life. <laughs> you know, they're, they're crying and the, um, they're just, they're, they're broken on the other end. There's a resource there available, but it doesn't have funding right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw that with $5,000 mortgage arrearages. Um, and I saw that even more heartbreakingly with $20 prescription expense assistance, and somebody can't get their insulin because of 20 bucks, you know, and that was incredibly demoralizing while I was going through it, but it really helped, helped me make that decision when Kepler United Way came to me and uh, asked if I'd like to step into a resource development role. Um, that, that made it easier to say yes, even though it scared the heck out of me <laughs> to, to ask people for money. Um, because now, now I'm in a position where I don't have to just watch that happen passively. Uh, I'm in a position where I can actually do something about it. So uh, Nick, you're talking to two nonprofit people here who, let's all uh, be honest here, fundraising is the pits, but it's needed. So um, uh, we're also gonna be sure to add the link for 211 to the episode narrative for today's podcast. So we like to ask all of our guests this question. Looking back, what would you tell 20-year-old Nick and what advice would you give him from the lessons you've now learned? (laughs) Jeez, 20-year-old Nick was kind of a mess. Um, Well, 55-year-old Teddy is too, so. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, that's right. Yeah, are we ever not a mess, Teddy? I guess I would say to myself what, I, what I've said to my, my kids now and, and other folks that I meet who are in that age range that um, just you're probably not right about which, where, your, where your destination is, right? You think you know where you're headed. That's probably not the case, but it's still vitally important that you keep moving toward something, you know? Um, and as you keep moving down paths, eventually the trajectory will start to make sense and you'll 
recognize that you're ending up somewhere where you're supposed to be um, and is good for you to be, but to not spend so much time trying to be certain, you know, there's, there's certainty is an illusion <laughs> largely. Um, and it can be a dangerous one, you know, it can be stifling. That's fantastic advice. Definitely could have used that when I was 22, Teddy. <laughs> <laughs> so let's time travel to the present. Where do you think we will see you in the next three years? Uh, I want to be, I want to be right here. I mean, this is, uh, I'm having more, I'm going to say this and I hope that it doesn't sound distasteful given the, the upheaval that has been going on in our community, but I have been having more fun um, with this job in the past, you know, year and a half or two years than I had before, um, because it, it really has brought it home, um, how, how necessary this sort of work is. Um, and I think one of the benefits of being in fund development <clears throat> is that, um, you, there, it's kind of a, a synaptic role, you know, I mean, I, I, throughout the day, I, I might at 3 a.m. I might be over at the UPS depot at the the airport, and then at 8 a.m. I'm I'm talking to a group of CPAs, and then a couple hours later, I'm talking to case managers um, from community mental health, uh, and those groups typically don't communicate with one another, um, but I have the opportunity to act as an intermediary, um, and, and just like we're doing here. You know, we are all, um, we are all in this together. I know how, how cliche that is, um, but I think it's often, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of used flippantly. Um, you know, we're not all, we're not only all in the same um, position here, but most people understand that the way through this is together. Um, and I think folks in the nonprofit world, and I, I'm honored to be among them, are in an ideal position to actually do that bringing together. Because mm -hmm. it's also a time when the, the, the fences we've put up are, are taller than ever. Can I, Nick, I just want to jump in real quick. I'm loving what you're saying about we're all in this together. Uh, my friend Bernadette Johnson, who you may know, uh, she's a motivational speaker, author. She's incredible here in Lansing. I love that she now calls this the new evolving normal. Um, so we don't have our new normal. It's the evolving normal. So I kind of picked up on what you were saying and, you know, we've got to adjust and uh, just be part of it, right? Right. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think the togetherness and being part of the community is more important now than ever before and will continue to be in the future. Well, Nick, unfortunately, our time together is coming to an end. Uh, Teddy and I want to thank you again for joining us today on the podcast. And we hope that you had fun, too. We have truly enjoyed our conversation, and we look forward to seeing you on a future podcast. You can find out more about Nick and the Capital Area United Way under the episode tab at tlrealtalk.com. Thank you, Carrie, again for co-hosting today. And Nick, um, I want to give you the opportunity, any parting words, any gems or anything you want to share with our listeners? Um, I would say that there are, there are continually opportunities, typically every day, 
for somebody to get involved in a meaningful way in their community. And that might be through giving, it might not be, it might be through volunteerism or advocacy, but those, those opportunities are, are manifest. Every day there's something out there for you. Some of it's hard, some of it's easy, some of it's slow and some of it's quick. Pick something, just <laughs> keep your eyes open and reach out and, and pluck one of those opportunities out of the air and take advantage of it and trust that those around you are doing the same thing and making the load lighter for everybody. Thanks, Nick, what great advice. Thank you again, everyone, for joining me and Carrie on another episode of Real Talk with Teddy and Lisa. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Remember, no matter where life's journey takes you, it's always a great time to grab a cup of coffee, some hot tea, or a martini, and let's keep it real. Thank mm-hmm. you.